from the 809 Restaurant and Lounge in the heart of Inwood, New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we welcome actor and web series creator Hasim Mohammed. Since graduated in 2018 from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, he has gone on to work in regional theater, off-Broadway, indie films, and network television. And at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, Hasim penned the web series Angels of Uptown, which he co-produced, co-directed, and acted in. We are thrilled to have him today on our Artist Spotlight. Thank you so much for being here, Hasim. Yeah, thank you for having me. Sure thing. Um, so being an actor... First and foremost, is that right? Correct. You think if you had to choose between your children, you'd be <laughs> first? Yeah, definitely, 100%. Okay, so, uh, uh, and uh, theater seems to be your primary focus, um, but I'm sure you love them all the same as well, maybe, or what? Were yeah. you bread and butter? What do you think? I guess I would say theater is where the bulk of my training has been, you know, like going to UNCSA, um, the classical theater training route, mm-hmm. you know, conservatory style. Yeah. Um, but I've, I mean, I've done kind of a, a balance of, of mediums since graduating, which I'm really grateful for. So, yeah, I would consider myself pretty balanced between theater and film at this point. Well, great, because I'm going to ask you about the same thing at the same time for both of them. Great. So, Let's hear it. <laughs> where are we? Uh, we it's, it's no longer 20, March 2020. Right. Um, uh, can you give us a report, or at least maybe just a temperature in the room, of where the film and theater industry are right now in this, you know, ever evolving emergence from the pandemic, and uh, and in short, are auditions picking up? I mean, is work picking up? Uh, I really want to hear what's happening because everyone's uh, everyone has these grand notions on the news of like industries are roaring, returning, but you know, right. that's for people who usually aren't in those industries talking about. It. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, um, I, my sense of it from from my. Uh, the lens through which I see the industry is that film and TV is booming. It really is. Um, in New York City, uh, film and TV production, I believe, is back to its pre-pandemic um, levels. So pretty much back to where we left off in terms of film and TV. Obviously, things are different. You know, like the protocols and everything. Like I was on um, FBI in May. We had to have these like trackers in our pockets the whole day for COVID tracing so that like anytime a tracker got into close contact with another tracker, they'd be able to like pinpoint like who was in contact with who should a COVID case um, transpire. Uh, Theater, regionally, the small houses, they're struggling. It is a tough time. Um, I think the ones who are doing okay are the ones who really created a strong community um, that, you know, are willing to help them out during the pandemic of course, you know, we have the small business loans and uh, grants that were available, and I know a lot of theaters took advantage of that. Um, but it's just a lot harder to come back to theater safely. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not that the actors aren't ready. It's not that the audience isn't ready. You know, for example, a lot of theaters are incurring a lot of extra expenses, redoing, like, their HVAC systems. You know, because some of these are some really old houses. Yeah. Um, and they've been fine up to this point, but now all of a sudden there are all, of, all these criteria that the union requires – in order to, um, you know, do it safely, you have to have a COVID compliance officer. That's extra salary. Exactly. Um, even if, like, you know, when I was at ASF, it was the company manager. No, it was not. It was the production uh, manager 
um, was a COVID compliance officer, but still, it's extra. You got to give them something, even if you don't hire an extra person. You got to, yeah. you know, a little extra. It's a job. Yeah. It's, a, it's an additional job right. to what your normal job would be. Yeah. So that's, that's, my, that's my sense of things. Like theater is, it is coming back, um, but it's, it's a slower role than film and TV. Yeah. 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 There's lots of dynamics and everything in theater. It, you, it depends on the live aspect. Yeah. And, and you only have so much time to get it done. Uh, not that film and TV don't feel like time is of the essence. <laughs> if you've ever been on the set, you know yep. that, is the, <laughs> that is the only thing. Being a stage manager may be the toughest job in film and TV. But theater, you literally only have days to get things done. And right. once you lose your window, you're, you're gone. Yeah. Um, and um, in terms of auditions, uh, auditions were really popping for me for a, a minute. And I, I'm of the belief, I don't really believe except for when we were in the pandemic. Whenever people are like, oh, things are slow right now, I don't really buy into that. It might be slow for me. It might be slow for you. But somebody else is, is doing three self-tapes, three four auditions a week. Mm-hmm. Always, always. I mean, especially the, with the amount of content that's being produced right now. I mean, we have Snapchat series, like legit shows that are being um, streamed on these social media platforms. Of course, we have the streaming giants. Netflix, HBO, Amazon, etc. You still have network television, plus all the independent circuit. So it's like, there's no. What do you mean by slow? So I don't. I don't personally buy into that. Um, for myself, things were. You know, I was auditioning a few times a week um, since I got back to town in September. Um, the last maybe two weeks have been slow for me, um, but also just booked another job, so it kind of makes me unavailable for some upcoming time. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, and from what I gather from my friends, auditions have really picked back up. That's great. Which is great. Yeah. Well, all the signs are in the right direction. Let's see if they hope they continue to be. Yes, God, we need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's great that we're recovering. And but let's take us back to um, one of the responses you had to the early part of 2020. Um, you wrote the six-episode series, Angels of Uptown. Uh, can you speak to where the inspiration for that project came from and why you chose a web series format and particular distribution way of doing that when you did? Uh, and uh, I guess I'll go ahead and what would you say? Yeah, yeah. So I, part of being an artist for me, creating work is very important to me. Um, I know some artists don't really care. They just want you to hire them. They're, they're great collaborators, but they don't like generating their own work. Um, I'm really a fan of both. Uh, when I was undergrad, we had this thing called intensive arts at school, which was, mm-hmm. it was a two-week festival period where we didn't have any academic classes. It was just arts classes, workshops, guest artists coming in. And for the drama department, we had two weeks. We, you might have like one like special guest workshop a day for like an hour and a half, two hours. Outside of that, you were generating your own work. And the students were producing the work. And at the end of the two weeks, on the final two days, um, so I guess it was really like 10 to 12 days. And then the final two days, we showed all of the work in the theater on the main stage, um, and, or in the black box, which is one of our main stages at school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was incredible, like anywhere between 50 to 70 pieces wow. every year. Yeah. They, they, they had to make us create less. <laughs> they were, <laughs> we were doing too much. I was in rehearsal at 1am, um, in four different uh, pieces at a time which is a lot. Some people, you know, snuck in the five or six. They, they had to put limiters. There were so many restrictions. They were like, you cannot do, I think by the time it was my senior year, you couldn't do more than like three, I think, without like special permission. 
uh, freshmen were not allowed to create their own, but they had to participate in at least one as well as like a whole studio thing that just the freshmen did together. Um, so that was really like the incubator for me as someone who likes to generate their own work, you know, and devise their own work. But when you graduate, there's no such thing as intensive arts. <laughs> there's no such thing as uh, here's free space to use. Here are some of the most talented artists you'll ever run into at your fingertips, sitting right there on campus with you, wanting to create with you. Um, Only a phone call away. Right. Or like three doors down in the dorm. <laughs> and, and you don't have to pay them <laughs> because right. we're all here at school. Um, so just a truly special thing about our, our school. Um, it was my favorite time of the year. So I graduated. Um, this is a long-winded way to answer your question, but I'm, I'm getting there. So I graduated 2018, uh, and I got a fellowship to um, at Lincoln Center. So it was a six-month fellowship with Lincoln Center Education. Uh, part of it was like teaching artistry work, but that was really only like a third of it. I'd say the other two-thirds were all about us, um, you know, getting the introduction to the industry uh, in a way, in more of an exploratory way, mm -hmm. right? So we all had a mentor. Um, who was a practicing artist, and um, we had opportunity to create our own work by the end of the fellowship. So the culmination in the fellowship was Clark Studio Theater at Lincoln Center, put up our device piece for an audience, mm -hmm. you know, like for public for the public. Um, and so I created a piece called No Signal, and for me that was like a continuation of Intensive Arts. It was the same time of year. It was in December. So it had your, so like your bones of, already. Yeah, yeah. So it was like the end of semester. It was like, I'm so used to doing this. And then 2019, I didn't create anything original. Um, and so one of my goals, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I write down my goals at the top of the year. End of June, I check in at the halfway point, see where I'm at, see where I need to adjust. Um, and one of my goals for 2020 was to create an original piece, whatever it was going to be. And I... I'm also a big, um, a big part of my artistry is um, in the movement arts. So combat, dance, circus, um, physical theater, I'm in all of that. Um, that's kind of my, if I could give myself a niche, I'd say that's what it would be. Um, I consider myself a movement practitioner. And um, I've always wanted to like bring the two together, right? So I'm an actor, I'm a movement practitioner. I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be a stunt man. That's not my, mm -hmm. that, that's not my uh, calling, I don't think. Um, I'd happy, listen, I'll take whatever work comes my way, <laughs> um, but that's not something I'm actively seeking. Uh, but I'm like, I've always wanted to do like an action film, right? Where I get to do my own stunts and that kind of thing. And it's this fast paced, adventurous type thing. And I'm also the kind of person where if an opportunity isn't presented to me, I'll do my best to make it, right? So I was like, okay, 2020, I'm going to create my own work. And I just got this idea. I'm a big fan of, of Marvel, of the MCU, and, you know, all these Netflix shows they had running at the time, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, which was terrible, um, Jessica Jones, uh, you know, the, all, all of those things that were going on the, at that time, Daredevil, Daredevil was so good. Um, so those are big inspiration for me. Arrow, that's a CW show, mm -hmm. DC Universe. Um, the Flash, another CW. Like I loved all those shows, except for Iron Fist. And how do you really feel about <laughs> Iron Fist? That's a whole separate <laughs> podcast. It's so fun. I can't. I won't. I won't say who it is, but there's an industry individual who had a a part in that, and they were like, "Yeah, everybody knows it's terrible." <laughs> I spoke to them, and they were like, "Yep, not the one." Uh, but anyways, again, very long-winded. Um, 
that was my inspiration for writing my own series about a group of vigilantes um, because I was like, I can see myself in those roles. Like, I think I'm perfect for those roles. Like, I feel like I could be put into any one of those TV shows and excel. Any, any film like that and excel. So I talked to my friend who's a, who went to school for um, directing and producing. Uh, and she was like, okay. She was like, you need to re- write a treatment and some of the other preliminary steps to writing. Um, let me know what you're thinking. Talk story, that kind of thing. And so I was like, okay, by the end of February, I want to have the first episode written, right? So by the first week of March, I had the first episode written. By the second week of March, the world shut down. <laughs> so, uh, and again, I'm a, I don't like the grass growing underneath my feet, right? So the world shut down. And I'm truly a silver lining type of person. So I was like, okay, the good thing about this whole thing is I have time. Something that I really did not have much of before. I'm always running around because as you know, as an artist in New York City, you gotta hustle. You gotta work those day jobs. So it's like, you're working all day, you're auditioning, like in the middle of the day at the time, because we were still auditioning in person, you'd have to like dip out of work for an hour, run, audition, go back, and then at night you're prepping for the next day for the next audition, working on sides and lines and everything. Um, so I just feel like I didn't, and you, you got to work out, and you got to try and eat right, and you got to try and sleep. So it's like, there's so pressed for time as, as young artists as we are. And all of a sudden, like, I didn't have to do anything. Like, 24, like I was locked in my apartment for eight weeks. Hmm. So I made a commitment. I was going to read every day, write every day, and work out every day, sometimes twice a day. Right. I'd go up to my roof. I'd work out in the morning. I'd come back in. I'd set a timer to write. I set a timer to read. Maybe I'd get another movement session in up on the roof or in my apartment. Um, And that was really my jam for like eight weeks. Um, And through that time, like by the time I got to June, I had a six episode arc written for this web series that I was calling Angels of Uptown. I have no idea when the name the name came in like quite late. Like, I think I was already done writing it before I uh, named it. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, I always want my, my work to speak to something, to to something bigger than myself. And for me, all the racial injustices that occur in the world and specifically America, um, I wanted one of my close friends to be in it. And that brought gender into the conversation. Um, and so I thought about our neighborhood. You know, Inwood, Washington Heights, Harlem, like uptown, as you say, upstate New York. Um, it's I've seen so many maps where literally like above like mid Harlem is like cut off. That's how it and, used to be. The old subway maps, particularly before you and I were even around. But that was it. You you it's it, 110, maybe even let me. I think that I think that was the, the one I saw when I moved here way back in 2003. Um, but previous to that, I mean, some things cut off in the midway of the park, I think, back in the yep. day. Yeah, like my friend, uh, some one of his friends from home, like gifted him like this magnetic map uh, for the refrigerator, <laughs> and it ends at like one ten. Yeah. Um. And so I'm like, we're literally forgotten. Yeah. You know, you think about the story of West Side Story. Literally, the people of Washington Heights used to live down by Lincoln Center, pushed up. They used to be farmland, everything down there. And so, you know, I was feeling like, man, like, so sort of a forgotten people. And coincidentally, the forgotten people are also the more, most diverse on the island of Manhattan, right? The majority. Coincidentally. The, coincidentally, yeah. Most of the people of color are up top where they've been driven to over the years. 
Um, crime was an interesting statistic for me to look up. Uh, New York City, it's interesting. It's like, oh, where do you expect the most crime to be? The most crime is in like Times Square area, which makes sense, tourists and everything. Outside of the touristy areas, East Harlem, right? Where's the most money? Sutton Place, right? Downtown, Midtown East. Um, and so those are the kinds of things I wanted to bring to the forefront. And th yeah, so those are the themes that, that occur in this web series. Yeah, I hope that, that was like a five minute answer to your question. <laughs> Um, it's it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll take little bits and pieces from it. Um, Great. So, uh, being a fellow actor combatant, at least I used to be back when I could move. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> hey, I could still move, uh, but uh, not as I don't work out twice a day. Um, <laughs> I'm lucky to do it once or twice a week. Um, so, uh, I'm interested how um, in, throughout your disciplined regimen, uh, being the movement-oriented person as you are. Um, how that informed the storytelling and development of that story. Because as someone who is certified in many different weapons, um, it's always great to have fun and show off your chops, for sure. Uh, but also, too, uh, if it's not a story point the audience is going to understand, it's not used to having it in there either. Um, but And then tapping that to the violence statistics you were bringing up, too. Um, Washington Heights had a real bad problem um, in the eighties and, uh, going to the nineties. So, uh, here we are now. Um, yes, it's, we could say it's gentrified. It is set in 2020, right? Uh, when, when, when present day, present, pre sorry, present day. Present so day, yeah. not, not exact year per se, Correct, yeah. but just modern times, today, if you will, yeah. modern times yeah. today. So I'm curious how those two pieces you spoke about informed the development of the story for the six episodes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one, we want to just be a realistic. So, like, overnight, these characters don't become ninjas, right? To give us a little bit of, like, a, I guess a cheat in that direction, the character I play wrote him as having grown up boxing. So, like, he, he is a martial artist in, um, in some capacity, but the other members of the team, not at all. And, uh, honestly, the, the combative side of the show is one of, like, the coolest parts, I think, um, for us, because seldom do you see a project at this small of scale do that well, mm -hmm. right? I've seen web series that other people, I'm not gonna name anybody, you know, like other people made that I've seen and I'm like- Iron Fist, we're talking to you. <clears throat> Come on, man, y'all had a budget. <laughs> um, you know, you see these, these shows and like truly look terrible. So the amazing thing was I called on my, um, on the alumni base from school because we all have the same training, right? Some of us latched on to it more than others. Like I graduated, with all eight weapon certifications from the SAFD, that's mm -hmm. the Society of American Fight Directors. Um, so that was kind of like, like I said, like my niche. But no matter what, everybody came out with a couple, two or three certifications minimum you had to, to graduate, at least three, actually, yeah. So we all had that shared language. Um, being that I wrote it, co-directed, co-produced it, acting in it, I didn't want to be the fight director. That was too much. But so I took on the role of stunt coordinator. I assembled these people. I brought on um, a guy who graduated in 2013, Leighton Samuels, um, who is an incredible uh, fight director. And he came on as our fight director. He plays the antagonist in the uh, pilot episode. And yeah, we, we had a lot of fun. Honestly, like the fights are great. Um, a lot of them look really awesome. We learned a lot. You know, you learn what works 
on film versus what works on stage and like they're not the same. Uh, some of the things in terms of weapons, we knew we could get away because we're, we're kind of shooting guerrilla style, right, on the streets. So it's like we can get away with like sticks and open hand stuff. And interesting, the cool thing about being pushed up and forgotten is you can get away with that stuff up here. Oh, yeah. You know, like <laughs> I, I hear loud and clear. Um, once upon a time in 20, let's see, I think it was 2008. Um, we did a production of Tombstone, Saga of the Americans. So we're talking, the, we did the gun shout, shootout at the OK Corral, and we had, which is 22 shots. We did 22 <laughs> shots in a park in, in Wood Hill Park in northern Manhattan every night for four weeks, three, four weeks, and no one complained. Nope. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody blinked an eye. Uh, in, other, in other parts of the city, that would have gone very much noticed. Right. So to your point, I think there is a, a <laughs> there are blessings, hidden blessings inside. Like, yep. so, silver linings, if you will, exactly. as you say, silver exactly. linings. Um, yeah, so we, like, for example, in the, in the first episode, for folks who may watch very soon, tomorrow, um, there's this there's a scene in an alley. We had a, such a hard time finding an alley. You watch all these TV shows and everything's in alleys. There are not that many open alleys in New York. It's not real. Those are all privately owned. So to find a public alley was so hard. Um, but we did. And uh, something I learned about scouting locations: you should scout locations at the same time and same day of the week in which you intend to shoot. So I rode by on my bike by this alley at like three o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, wide open, clear, no problem. We go to shoot Friday night, and apparently it is the alley to be in. <laughs> oh, no. Cra and and I, what I didn't realize is this alley connects St. Nick to Freddie D, I think. Uh -huh. And people were just using it as like a throughway. Like people weren't hanging out it's in the it's alley. It's a cut through. Yeah, exactly. People weren't hanging out in the alleyway, but like actually. the guys on delivery bikes, yeah. people walking. Oh, through. Yeah. It's just a cut through. Um, but we filmed a whole, I'm not going to give it away. Y'all got to watch. Um, we filmed a very intense, a very intense scene in that alleyway. Not a single person bad in the eye. A lot of people, you know, people will stand by and watch, but like. Just another day near Frederick Douglass Boulevard. <laughs> right. So pretty chill. So that was a blessing. Reminds me of the Daredevil hall fight scene, maybe. Ah, yeah. I wish it was narrower, but scene. we try to get it like a little claustrophobic. It's actually a pretty wide alley. Okay. Um, the other blessing about the fight stuff is um, we could afford to be sloppy. These characters are sloppy. This Angels of Uptown is an origin story, right? So they don't win that much in this first season. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of fun. I think we did it very well, and I'm, I'm incredibly excited about that aspect of the show. Well, I'm happy you heard, you heard, you heard a little hint there, first season, folks. So, uh, and remember, he gets a little antsy around a certain time of year. <laughs> so feel free to give him a call if you have an alleyway he could shoot in for season number two. Please. Um, so that's important. Um, I want to also uh, unpack that l lengthy response you had before, too, and talking about representation in the industry and funding. Um, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, or maybe you do know, um, Broadway is inching back uh, every every day. There's a new show opening, it seems, now, which is wonderful. Um, seven of the new plays opening on Broadway this season, um, and I think they are, believe it or not, the first seven or so, are all penned by black writers. Um, to put it lightly, a lot has occurred in uh, the past two years uh, towards 
particularly equality and towards elevating representation of artists of color in our industry in multiple facets. It's not just the actors. It's throughout the entire industry, and that means on film, too. So I'm curious, uh, talking about those big budget MCU, Netflix, Amazon, you know, The Boys and stuff like that, uh, you know, there's fundraising and uh, and then there's fundraising because uh, and, there's, and there's support. So I'm curious. Be, uh, it's great to see a groundswell towards the big boys, but is there been? I'm curious to see what your experience was because uh, you may may or may not know people that actors actually do get paid for a living, and so do set designers, and so do fight choreographers. They are actually jobs. Artists are entrepreneurs. They're merchants. That's just what we do for a living, uh, and so. I want to hear about your story and funding Angels of Uptown to produce it because I'm really interesting to hear about what your experience was for fundraising for a project in, third part, in a forgotten territory um, that doesn't get a lot of respect, uh, honoring people uh, of color in leadership positions. Yeah, so uh, first part is the important thing for me, like, so all these big budget films and shows and everything. Like you said, on Broadway, we have a lot, a few plays this year that are penned by people of color, and that's so important because a lot of these big budget films and things we see, the creative team is not necessarily people of color. And they're large teams on films. It's not just, it's usually yeah. not one person. Right, for sure. Um, the writer's room. Right, yeah, exactly. Even like the writer, like there's a team of yeah. them. There's a guy there just to make jokes. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it's like, I'm very happy to see that on Broadway. I also want people listening to understand seven is a very small number. Like that's not a that's particularly not a, when you do forty <laughs> or fifty shows a year, right? Like that's not a lot. Like no. you're like oh seven shows that like it's a lot historically in the grand scheme. It's very little. It's it's a step in the right direction, is what I'll say. Yep. Um, funding Angels of Uptown was very interesting because uh, we were trying to do it during the middle of the like like we shot the first two episodes, which now have now combined into one. Uh, but we shot those, like, in September of 2020. You couldn't even get a rapid COVID test. Those didn't exist. There, there was no, we had no way of, of like, checking. You waited to, four to five days for your results. Right. That's where you were. Um, and they didn't really want you to come in unless you were sick. Yeah. So there was no, so that's when we were trying to do it. So everybody still doesn't know what's going on in the world. Uh, grants, we're looking at grants. Tough thing about grants, everyone's out of work. Everyone needs them now. Right? So now you're competing against everyone um there was a, a grant specifically just for black creators in new york so like the pool you know the pool's getting small yeah. it's not some national yeah. thing we didn't make it past the first round wow of consideration for that and I, I don't think it's not because we didn't have a good idea i'm assuming it's because there were a lot of people with a lot of great ideas well, like you said a lot of people had a lot of time on their hands and perhaps yeah. uh, i don't know if they were as motivated as you were but many uh put pen to the paper and maybe there was more competition than previous years. Yeah. And the thing about those, those grants, which I want to do better at in the future, and I want to learn more about how to do better in the future, if we hadn't gotten that grant, that one grant could have funded our full first season. It, was, it, it would have been enough to do the whole thing. What was the budget for your first season? Uh, 15 grand. That's not a lot for a web series, yeah. folks. No, no. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, especially because we wanted to pay people reasonably well. Yeah. If we... If we just had a bunch of people volunteering, that number would have been considerably smaller because mm -hmm. most of our budget went to uh, salary um, and stipends. But uh, so 15 grand for the full first five episodes. 
and or six. We shot six, and then we condensed it in post. Mm -hmm. um, so honestly, fundraising for Angels of Uptown was a lot of favors. It was a lot of calling. I literally picking up the phone. I spent from October to January prepping for our crowdfunding campaign. I wanted to launch it in October of last year, and I did a little research and realized I didn't know what I was doing. And I was wholly unprepared. Um, so I started doing some research through the site called Seed and Spark, which is where we ended up doing our crowdfunding. Um, and what I learned is that most of the work happens before the public sees the campaign. Like most of the work, truly. So through making phone calls to past mentors, people who I know enjoyed my work in school, friends, parents of friends, um, artists that I respect, uh, we had 70% of our goal pledged before we launched the campaign. Seed and Spark requires you hit 80% to receive the funds. So really we went into it, starting our campaign, just needing 10% more, um, which is great. I called my alma mater, UNCSA. I called their foundation because um, I got in touch with the man who funds the foundation. And he said, call them. I called them. I explained the whole thing. And they were like, well, we would absolutely love to help. But like the way a foundation works, our, our money's tied up. You know, we, we have a budget and we allocate it a certain way. And I was like, okay. At certain times of the year, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Linda Loddick, um, super sweet. She was like, but she was like, I really want to help. She was like, let me call you back in a few weeks. Sure enough, two to three weeks later, I get this call. She's like, hey, we have a new grant. And uh, without saying so, she essentially said, it's going to be yours. We need you to apply, though. Oh, so yeah. I, I, I applied for the grant. So we're the inaugural recipients of this new alumni grant from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, and that just put us over the top, fundraising-wise. And then we had a few private donors who, again, like just push us. So we, we, we raised well over our goal yeah. through a combination of private donors, that grant, and our public crowdfunding uh, through Seed and Spark. Well, I think that's fantastic. And if your people are listening, um, as we kind of hopefully tied a lot of these little um, breadcrumbs, uh, or picked them up, I should say, along the ways that, you know, again, bring it back to being launched from a place with support. You had space. You had access to personnel. You had access to resources. You didn't need money then. Um, you're in school. Right. Uh, you had to figure out a new way, and there is a learning curve uh, to work within a similar structure um, right. to uh, create and uh, and realize things. And sounds like uh, you know next time there will be a little different planning in different ways. Um, <laughs> yes. But you should be very proud of the fact that you know that's you know through failure you you fail up in a way. You know you. You don't get so discouraged where you, well, it's detrimental and you just quit the entire program and you scrap it. You kept on and you figured it out. You made phone calls to your alma mater. And when, when you were hitting do, um, doors being shut in your face with the grants, uh, and grants are really hard to come by, particularly when you're um, young in the industry uh, as a project maker and without a lot of long professional track record of being a creator. Uh, and producing is tough, people. Uh, you want to be a producer? <laughs> it's not just attending parties with martini glasses. I wish. Uh, <laughs> we we all wish it's 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 it is it is grunt work. Uh, you're 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 hustling, as he said, not just as uh, um, you're hustling for the project. 
uh, and actors, uh, musicians, whoever, you know, usually hustling for yourself as the project, as the entrepreneur. You're putting yep. yourself out there. You know, when you're a producer, you're hustling for pushing the whole thing forward in, in whichever way that manifests for you in your art. Um, so congratulations. I think you should hear it. I don't think people will hear, <laughs> hear enough that, uh, you know, you you take what you've learned and you applied it and you know you have a first season and the fact that you're talking about a second season is wonderful oh, thank you so much yeah i think that the money can be like an awkward thing to talk about and i really owe a thank you to all the people who helped us with like this like if anybody asked me for advice on creating my original work i'd say like don't be afraid to ask for favors you're going to need them yeah and i think that we think about that in a different way based on where you may be on the quote unquote totem pole. But like even at the top, people, they asking favors, right? We, there are big blockbuster actors and film stars who do projects purely because they're friends directing it, right? Um, and the, that's essentially what's happening with us in the same, we're just at a different level. Mm -hmm. um, so this was a ton of calling in favors, uh, not just for, um, not just for money to produce it, but then once we're doing the thing, right, now we gotta shoot it. Once we get to production, it's a matter of like, I was doing my best to pay people, but I wasn't paying them a living wage, <laughs> right? You know, like this is, this is according to SAG, we're what's considered a micro budget, mm -hmm. which interestingly enough, didn't exist before t December of 2020. Their lowest level was ultra low budget, which had a cap of like 750 grand. And somehow before 2020, nobody realized we might need something in between zero and three quarters of a million dollars. Yeah. yeah, so that now exists. Um, so Unrelated to the pandemic too, everybody. I mean, as you said, December. And, I, and yeah. I remember when that came out too, people kind of, it was like their showcase code finally. <laughs> right. For, for, yeah, yeah. for SAG saying, yeah. like, these people want to create, how can we help them create? Right. Um, and so it was a lot of like my friends like saying like, yeah, I'll come work for 125 bucks for the day. Mm -hmm. You know, and that I'm so grateful for that. And it was really a lot of people, it's humbling that people believed in me enough because I had nothing to show them, right? So truly, they were they were they were trusting in me and my vision, um, and not just, and hopefully the the story of the, you know I would send them the script and say hey read it if you're interested. I always told people if you're interested, I want you on as a collaborator because I'm new to filmmaking. So a lot of people I brought onto the project I did on purpose so that I can learn from them. It's always right? great hiring people who are smarter or more or more uh, seasoned than you are in yeah. certain aspects, yeah, and that's how you grow. Yeah. Well. Um, Congratulations again, and uh, we know the next thing coming will be season two, and where can they go find and watch it? Okay, so I just want to make sure that I have our handle correctly on YouTube. So our episodes will be streaming on our YouTube channel um, for, for free. Uh, the first episode comes out tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Tomorrow night at 8 p.m., our name on YouTube, our channel is Angels of Uptown. Um, we currently have a couple trailers up. You can go ahead and watch tomorrow at 8. Uh, the first part of the first season will come out um, on Facebook and on Instagram. You can follow us at Angels of Uptown underscore series. Awesome. You have your instructions, listeners. <laughs> go get them. Yeah, well, yeah. Hasim, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and sharing your talent with us on, and what works on air. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's a you pleasure. Uh, so, folks, uh, this is In What It Works On Air. 
It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists all stripes who make their home here, yes, in upstate Manhattan. And we say that because it is fun. It's, it's kind of a poke and jab at ourselves, but also, too, as what as Hasiem said before, is that y'all don't know we live up here sometimes, and we're doing <laughs> some good work. Um, if you have a moment, please show us some love right now and rate and review this podcast and Apple Podcasts. That really does help. Many thanks to one of our favorites here, 809 Restaurant and Lounge at 112 Dykeman Street for hosting us and being an ardent supporter of Inwood Artworks. Uh, also, uh, thanks to Jeannie McAdam at HighTaste.com for all the local uptown promotional support she gives us. Be sure to follow us on social media at InwoodArtworks.nyc. Um, keep up all that we do, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Alfresco, Public Art Galleries, live performances, and so much more. You can support On Air and all of our pre-programming that we do at Inwood Artworks by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc backslash donate. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air. <laughs>